course, the whole chapter is devoted to the resurrection. But this morning we'll be starting with verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So Paul's not writing to unbelieving skeptics out in the world. He is addressing professing Christians gathered in a church who are listening to this letter being read. And he's asking, how is it that some of you say there's no such thing as a resurrection? How is it that some of you deny that that dead people can come back to life? And maybe some listening this morning are in the same boat. You consider yourself to be a Christian, but you have some doubts about the resurrection. So how will Paul address this issue? Well, the world will want him to say, it doesn't matter what you believe or don't believe about Jesus. Everyone's entitled to their own truth. And in many churches this morning on Easter Sunday, will deny, they'll say, it doesn't really matter if it happened or not. Easter can still be meaningful for you. But Paul wants us to know that the resurrection really does matter. And so he lists some things that would be true if the resurrection of Christ is not true. He mentions seven consequences that would happen if Easter did not happen. So, first of all, our preaching is in vain, verse 13. But, if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Paul tells us the core content of his preaching in the first four verses of chapter 15. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So the summary of the gospel, the good news that Paul preached, by which we are saved, is that Christ died for our sins, just like the scriptures said he would, And he was buried in a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And he rose again from the dead just like the scriptures said he would. And if you take out the resurrection out of that message, then our preaching is in vain. It's empty. It's meaningless. There's nothing to it. And if Christ stayed dead, our faith is in vain. The rest of verse 14 says, your faith is also is in vain. My dad once told me I'd believe in Jesus whether he rose or not. And Paul says, belief in an unrisen Christ is vain. 
It's empty faith. There's no substance to it. It's invalid, wishful thinking. Third, we are false witnesses. Verse 15, moreover, we are even to be found false witnesses of God. Because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. So if it's wrong to bear false witness against our neighbor, according to the ninth commandment, how much more serious is it to bear false witness against God himself? The apostles were claiming that God did something he never did. So go to Acts 2, for example, of a sample of the apostles preaching. This is Peter on Pentecost, 50 days after the first Easter. Let's read verse 23 and 24. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So Peter's claiming God raised Jesus from the dead. And if God did no such thing, then Peter is misrepresenting God. He's saying God did something he didn't do. Fourth, our faith is worthless. Back in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. So, Harold Kushner is a Jewish rabbi and a best-selling author, and he wrote this, It is, if believing in the resurrection makes my Christian neighbor a better person, more loving and generous, better able to cope with misfortune and disappointment, then it is a true belief, whether historically true or not. See what he's doing? You, you can still... Believe in Christian things and all that. Doesn't matter if Easter really happened or not, just be a better person. And Paul's saying, no. If it's not historically true, then such belief is worthless. There is no value to it at all. It's useless nonsense and a waste of time. As Steve Matthewson put it, Christian faith without resurrection is as useless as a snowblower in Jamaica or a screen door in a submarine. Fifth, we are still in our sins. Verse 17, the rest of the verse says, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. The gospel proclaims that Christ died for our sins as a substitute He's dying in the place of sinners. But if he stayed dead, then his sacrificial death was ineffective. He didn't accomplish anything on the cross. Which would mean we are still in our sins, we're still under the wrath of God, because what we hoped and believed would take away our sins didn't work. So we're still under condemnation. Verse 18 says, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
Fallen asleep is a term for death that communicates the idea that death is only temporary. Like going to sleep tonight with the expectation you will wake up on Monday morning. But Paul tells us if Christ did not come back to life, then those who died believing in him have perished. They're lost. They're not in heaven. They're separated from God. And all the words of comfort that are spoken at Christian funerals about being absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, it's just not true. We're just kidding ourselves. And last in verse 19, he says, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. We have put all our eggs in the wrong basket. We are out of touch with reality, like people who believe the earth is flat. People should feel sorry for us because we have based our lives on a myth. They should say, those poor Christians... They live as though there is something beyond this life. But we all know this life is all there is. Isn't it sad that they believe in such foolish things? So those are the consequences which would be true if the resurrection is not true. Look at verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. If you have ESV, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, which means that the reverse of what was said in the previous paragraph would therefore be true. And so I just want to give a footnote to John Piper for helping me see some of the following observations. So let's walk back through verses 12 through 19 in light of the reality that Christ is risen indeed. First... Our preaching of the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, is not in vain. It is absolutely true and of greatest importance. It is the truth in which we stand and by which we are saved, as he says in verse 1 and 2. It really saves people to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Second, our faith in Christ is not in vain. Our faith is solid and well-founded. We can sing with unshakable confidence on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking stand. I've got a solid rock under my feet. He's real. He's alive. He's all-powerful. I won't be shaken. Third, the apostles are not false witnesses. They are faithful witnesses of God. Their testimony is true. What they say about Christ And following him and everything else they write about is completely trustworthy. Fourth, our faith is not worthless. It is precious. Knowing and believing Jesus is of priceless value. What could possibly compare to the worth of a living hope in a living Savior? Fifth, we are not still on our sins. We are forgiven. We're forgiven. Go to Romans 4.25. Romans 4.25. 
Maybe we should start in 23. Paul just talked about Abraham's faith being credited to him as righteousness. Verse 23 says, Now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So our transgressions or our trespasses are all the times we have crossed over lines God said do not cross. All the times we have disregarded God's standards by thought, word, and deed. And Jesus was delivered up to death on the cross because of our transgressions. We talked about that on Good Friday. As far as he's a substitute, he's taking our sins on himself. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. He had no sin of his own. He was a substitute for us. So that's Good Friday. That's why he was killed. And he was raised because of our justification. Justification means to be declared righteous to be seen and treated as right in God's sight, to be perfectly acceptable to God. And the resurrection shows that God accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins. One writer put it like this, the resurrection is God's amen to Jesus' words, it is finished. The resurrection demonstrates that our debt of sin has been paid in full and once and for all and He's raised because we have been justified by faith in Christ. Six, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not perished. They are with Jesus and enjoying his presence forever. Go back to verse 20. Now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So if you have a garden, the very first ripe tomato is a sample that represents the rest of the crop that you will harvest. It is the first installment of many more tomatoes to come in the future. To say that Christ is the first fruits is to say Christ's resurrection guarantees that many more resurrections are to come. Jesus said in John 14, 19, because I live you will live also. So last Sunday, I talked to Mary Golden. It was a year ago, last week or so, that Russ went to be with the Lord. And I just was, you know, she was very aware of that, and I was aware of it, and she was crying. And I said, you know, Mary, it's just so neat that Russ died the week of Easter because you have a built-in reminder that Christ overcame death and that, Russ is with the Lord now. I can say that because the resurrection is true. If the resurrection was true, he perished, and we all perish. But there's this hope, this confidence, we will be with the Lord when we are done in this life. And seventh, we are not to be most pitied by other people, but to be envied by others. Using envy in the good sense of the word, namely an awareness of the happiness enjoyed by someone else and a desire to experience it too. 
So others should see something about us that they would want to have too. For example, as we continue our study in 1 Peter, we will get to chapter 3, verse 15, that says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Do you see what that verse assumes? It assumes that people will notice we have a hope that is different from their hope. If we're hoping the same things everybody else is hoping in, they're never going to ask us anything. We look just like them. But if we have a hope that endures the perishing of other kinds of hopes, we're still solid in our hope in Christ. People are going to want to ask us about it. What do you have that I don't have? What makes you tick? Why are you different? How do you still have hope in this situation? And we have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. So as we close, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with the risen, living Christ? If God is convicting you that you don't, first acknowledge, I need Jesus. I am a sinner. I am not right in God's sight. I am guilty in his sight. I deserve to perish for my sins. Romans 3.23 says that's all of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So no exceptions. We're all in this dangerous place of being sinners. And God is holy and must judge sin. So we turn from being okay with our sin and we turn from all attempts to earn God's acceptance by something we can do. In Romans 4, Paul says it like this. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So if we're trying to work our way into God's favor, kind of trying to do things to gain God's acceptance, Paul tells us that doesn't work. It's by believing, by faith in Christ, that that faith is credited as righteousness. And so we trust in Jesus, the crucified, risen Savior, believing his death paid the debt of sin that we literally could never pay off. And believing his resurrection shows he is all he said he is. He accomplished all that he came to do and that he's willing and able to rescue all who come to God through him. This is how Paul says it in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who are trusting Christ this morning, Paul gives us an application at the end of chapter 15. He says, therefore, which points us back to the previous 57 verses about the resurrection being true, that Christ is risen and we will be raised also, 
57 verses worth of the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. Okay, Paul, what should we do with this? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. John Piper says, steadfast means steady as you move forward. Keep on going and don't let up. Don't be given to fits and starts. Put your hand on the plow and don't take it off till your work is done. Immovable means don't get knocked over by sudden blows. Keep your balance. Stand strong and unshaken when the rains come down and the floods come up and the winds blow and beat against your house. Be like a boulder that can't get washed away. Be like a tree that can't get blown down. Abounding in the work of the Lord means do lots of it. Abound in means overflow with. Fill your days with things that count for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, may it be so that we as your people who believe in the risen Christ are abounding in things that count for the Christ we believe in. That we're steady and steadfast and immovable that our hope is solid, Lord, that we would be different because Christ has changed us and is continually changing us. Lord, that there would be something about us that others would want to know about and want to have. Lord, I know that's not always true in my life and probably not for everybody here too, but Lord, make it more true in our experience. Lord, may we rest in this reality of the resurrection. And Lord, again, for anyone who is not believing in their heart in the risen Christ, I pray that even today you would cause them to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing Christ is risen. He's risen.